One of the reasons we called this church Anchor Church is to try to capture this concept of the heart of wanting a group of people to be living everyday lives anchored in Jesus. This faith that we have, this belief that we have is for everyday living. And um, it's, it's important for us to be thinking about our faith that way. And if the leaders of this church are doing their job, they will be enabling you, helping you to live well for Jesus every day. But there's more that you need to be doing than simply living well for Jesus. And, and, and in my attempt to lead this church and, and, and others' attempts to lead here, I want to do more than just help you learn how to live well for Jesus. I also want to, and maybe even, importantly, even more importantly, I want you to know how to die well for Jesus. Are you ready for that one? Sounds a little bit morbid, but I say die well... Um, not meaning, you know, die without any pain. Most of us are going to suffer as we approach death in ways that we don't even really want to think about. But there is a way to die well as a Christian in that you die confident in what lies beyond death. Yep. And, and, and if there's anything that ought to be happening for you throughout your days is that you begin to prepare yourself for that moment It's a crucial moment, a moment where you still need to have your faith and you need to have grown in confidence so that in the midst of the pain and the tragedy and the horror of our physical death, there's a calm, quiet confidence that's in you. That's how I want to die, you know? And so it's so important for us really to be clear about what's beyond death. Um... Paul raises it here in this chapter um, because he's speaking to a church who have got questions about exactly what happens when a Christian dies. And so that's the topic we go into today. Exactly what happens when you die as a Christian, it's so important for us to be clear. It's It's important to be clear for your own sake so that you can approach the day with confidence. And it's important for the sake of our brothers and sisters who die before us, and this will happen. It has happened and it will continue to happen. Brothers and sisters will go and you'll be left thinking, where have they gone? It's so important for you to have confidence in what happens beyond death. You see verse 13 there? Paul says to them, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed, I want you to be informed. I want you to be in the know. It's really important that you know with clarity what happens to brothers and sisters who die before you do. What happens to those who already departed? Now, it's interesting the language he uses there. He says those who, what does he say? Sleep in death. Literally, it's just sleep, those who have gone to sleep, which is a metaphor for death, which is why in the NIV it says sleep in death, so we catch the metaphor. Um, it's, it, why would it be that Christians could view death like sleep? Because he actually calls it that all the way through this passage. You can see um, verse 14, he talks about those who have fallen asleep in him. That's in Christ. Verse 15, he uses the language of falling asleep. 
Verse 16, he clarifies what we're talking about. That is, is those who are dead in Christ. So die with their faith intact. Faith in Christ. That's what we're talking about. Why is it called sleep? Well, it's, it's beautiful that it is, isn't it? Because sleep is not so scary if, if you know how to do it. And sometimes it's not so easy, is it, to get to sleep? But the concept of sleep is we go to sleep knowing that we're going to wake up again. You know? I reckon you get to a certain age in your life where you go to sleep every night thinking, this could be it, you know? <laughs> and you might be, every morning you wake up and you're like excited to still be alive. And that day will come for all of us, likely. Um, but for most of us, you go to sleep confident that you're going to wake up again in the morning. And, and this, this concept is used to help Christians understand what their death will be like. You approach this moment where you can be confident that as your body dies, it's not the end. You can be confident that you will come to life again, that you will be awake again. Yep. Sleep, as it's described here, is de- death for the believer is like falling asleep. Confident that you'll wake again on the other side of death. It's a peaceful image. It, it, it's just gone for a moment. It's not gone forever. You're just asleep. It's, it's not over and out. It's not lights out. It's, 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 it's just a moment and then you will be awake again. It's a peaceful image. Which is why Christians have the ability to view death differently and grieve the death of other Christians differently, which is what Paul says there, isn't it? He says, um, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That's a, that's a big call, but Paul's saying, those who do not have faith in Jesus, those who have no hope in what lies beyond the grave, all of mankind, they die without hope. Paul says there, just thinking, well, really, this is it. Death is the end. I'm saying goodbye to this person and it's goodbye forever and I will never see them again. That is truly devastating on an extra level to approach a death that way. And Paul says that as a Christian, um, you don't need to grieve death in the same way as the rest of mankind. You can approach death and even grieve death differently. Now, it's grieved differently. It's not you don't grieve at all. Some people will try and push you down that track that Christians shouldn't grieve. Jesus grieved. Is that the right word? At Lazarus' funeral, he just wept. No, no, we grieve because we grieve the loss of relationship with a brother or sister for the rest of the days that you get to live here on earth. And that is painful. It's heartbreaking, but it's not the end. It's not devastating. And so a Christian grieves, and we'll do our fair share of grieving in our life. And some of you have already done a lot. And I want to be sensitive here. Christians get to grieve differently. Yeah? Yeah? We grieve with a certainty that we will be reunited. That's really different, yeah? So it's not farewell forever. It's more like see you soon, yeah? It's a certain hope that we have here. Now, it's important to talk about the basis of that hope because it can sound like wishful thinking. 
it doesn't matter what funeral you've been to, whether it's a funeral for a Christian or not, usually things will be said that are sentimental, um, attempting to comfort people who are grieving, and a lot of it's just wishful thinking, that they've gone to a better place, you know, whether the person claimed to be a Christian or not. Um, they're resting in peace now. At least they're not in pain anymore. All those kinds of things get said because we're trying to comfort each other in grief. So what, what is the basis that a Christian can actually have confidence that we will be reunited? Confidence that we will see that loved one again? Well, the basis of our confidence is our belief in a historical event that Paul describes there in verse 14. It's based on an event that lies at the very heart of the Christian belief. So look at verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See how it works? On what basis can we have a belief that we will see each other again, that, that God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him and will be able to be together? On what basis? It was on the basis of the fact that Jesus died and rose again. That's the historical event that we base our belief upon. And if you're new to these things, you're not sure about those things, what it actually means, this is, a, this is the gospel. This is the Christian message, that Jesus came and lived a life that you could never live and he did it on your behalf. And then he went willingly to the cross and he died a death in your place with your sin. So you don't have to. And then he rose again from the dead to show he had the victory over sin and death and to turn to a broken humanity and offer us forgiveness and restoration. That's the gospel. And because we believe that, that there is someone who died and rose again, if we put our trust in him, if we put our belief in him, then we can have confidence that though we die, we too will rise again. So it's not just a pipe dream. It's not just something we wish would be true. It's based on a historical event. And Jesus, in his own words, said that's the deal. When he was at his friend Lazarus's funeral, um, he made an extraordinary claim about himself. He said to the whole crowd that were mourning, he, he rocked up late to the funeral, a few days late. He rocks up to his best mate's, well, one of his best mate's funeral. Everyone's crying. And, and he says things like this. Hey, hey, listen up. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though you die, you will live again. And everyone just, I don't know, what everyone thought in that moment. But they're huge words to say, I'm the resurrection and the life. In other words, I'm the key to living beyond the grave. If, if you want to have confidence you can live again, it's me. It's believing in me. And then if people weren't stunned enough by his words, he said, oh, well, let me show you the power by which I say this kind of stuff. Oi, Lazarus, come out. And the dude comes out. And, and the morning turns into a party, you know, a celebration. Well, I actually don't know what happened in that moment. You can imagine there's a lot of shocked people. So Jesus' own words says the basis on which you can have confidence that there's life beyond the grave is believing in me. I'm the one who is the resurrection and the life, which means this, doesn't it? If, if, if you're kind of new to these things, you hear this today, or you, you, you're yet to really land on what you believe, let me just ask you this question. 
Do you want to live beyond this life? Surely you sense that you were created for more than simply these days. If that resounds for you, then put your trust in Jesus today. In his life, his death, his resurrection, it's the key to life beyond this one. And it's not just wishful thinking, it's based on historical events and the words of the man who died and rose again. Where else could you base your thinking on apart from a historical event like that? If you're someone who sits here today and says, yeah, Tim, I've done that. I've put my trust in Jesus. Then then here's, here's the challenge for you and for me. Keep believing until the final day. Yep. Persevere and be vigilant. Because if you're someone who comes to put your trust in Jesus for just a season of your life, And then you drift and you go about your life in other ways and you find yourself on the final day away from the Lord and not in faith with Jesus, then this little section will have done no good. You need to persevere in the faith. You need to stay in the faith. So on that final day, you're still strong in the faith and there's nothing more beautiful than seeing someone who's persevered with the Lord and been vigilant right until that final day. Will that be you? Can you be determined in this moment in your life to stay close to Jesus and have faith in him right until the end? And can you begin to and continue to make decisions that strengthen your faith instead of decisions that might feel good but take you away from the Lord? Because there's a whole bunch of things you can do with your life, a whole bunch of good, fun things you can get into. And many of those things you'll be applauded for by the world we live in. But the only thing that will matter on that final day is whether you've still got faith in Jesus. So, you know, scale it out to the future. How old do you reckon you're going to be when you fall off your perch? How many more years have you got? What's it going to take to stay strong till that moment? What decisions do you need to make now and next week and next month and next year? I can't help but think they're going to be decisions like this to keep repenting of sin when you see it, Um, to commit to reading your scriptures and praying so that you stay close to Jesus. These are basic, (laughs) but to surround yourself with brothers and sisters who are going to encourage you and pick you up when you're falling over. That's just being part of a church community. To, To spend your energy and yourself on helping a Christian community develop and grow. Give your days to that kind of stuff instead of being distracted by all the other things. Do everything you can to persevere until the end. Don't shipwreck your faith for anything. Now, anyone who does shipwreck their faith, I guarantee they never thought that that's what was happening in the process. I guarantee they thought that that will never be me. But Jesus talks about the four soils and it's the third soil the soil that just considers itself to be Christian, but then over time, just the worries of life and riches and all the things that we can go after end up meaning thorns grow up around your faith and choke you out and it's slow and it's gradual. So be vigilant. Be determined to get to the end. You must have faith in Jesus on your final day. And if you can, you've died well, because that's all that matters.
is being a Christian in the end. This passage here, I'll be the first to acknowledge um, a lot has been said about this passage in regards to how Jesus is going to return, when he's exactly is going to return, what it's going to be like. It's, it it kind of is a somewhat of a tricky area and maybe you've spent time on this passage. There's a lot of questions that come up that describe, is this describing the rapture? Is the rapture a thing? Is it a silent thing? Is it a noisy thing? Um, what about the millennial? When's that going to happen? You know, there's all kinds of questions that come from this. Obviously, we're not going to deal with them all tonight. But let me just mention one on the way through. At the mention of sleep here, um, some have read this to think that, um, and it could be true, to, to mean that when a Christian dies, they go into a sleep state in their soul. You leave your body behind and then your soul sleeps. I mean, it's been coined soul sleep for that reason. And so, so some feel like that, that's what's being mentioned here. And when you die as a Christian, you, you sleep. It's like you rest in an, um, w- w- without conscious awareness only to awake again at the second coming where you receive your new body. And it all happens in a blink of an eye. So if that's, if that's the deal, then when you die... It's like nothing, no time's passed at all before you awake and you've got your new body at the second coming. Now, that may very well be what this is describing. It could be, and I, and I want to humbly approach this kind of stuff, yeah? Um, Christians have, you know, this is an in-house family discussion. A lot of people land in different places about this kind of stuff. Um, there's a few things, though, that I want to acknowledge that nudge me away from the soul sleep con- concept um, and, and one of them is just the language that's used here in verse 14, where it says, look at it with me. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So this is talking about the final moment when Jesus returns. And it sounds like God is going to bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So it sounds as though people are with him already, and they will come with Jesus on this final moment, which I think kind of nudges me down the direction of thinking, well, when you die, though you leave your body behind, you, your spirit, your soul, your person, you go immediately to be with Jesus and you are with him until that final moment when you come back with him and receive your new resurrection body. If you look at a lot of Paul's letters, he uses a number of pieces of language to describe this. If you go to Philippians chapter 1, look at the language Paul uses here. He says, for me to live, sorry, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say to die is gain? Well, he kind of explains it. He says, if I'm to go on living in this body, it'll mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. And I think those kind of passages are indications that, at least in the mind of the Apostle Paul, he's thinking, when I die, I depart to immediately be with Christ. Yeah. I mean, he uses this language in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as well. Can you go to that one? Opening up Pandora's box here. Well, a small section of Pandora's box. Um, look what he says here. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So he's kind of describing this life that we have now. Though we have the spirit of the Lord, 
as long as you're in this body, there's a sense in which you are away from the Lord, meaning you are not in his immediate face-to-face presence, which is why there's pain here. It's why we still struggle here. Paul describes this experience as in some way still being away from the Lord. And you'll need to hear that if you're someone that's developed a, a, a theology um, that's, that's uh, a long way down the track of feeling like you can experience everything in the here and now and a full sense of the presence of God. This, this might nudge you back to think, now there is a sense in which we're still away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I love how our screen blows. Isn't it beautiful? It's the Spirit of the Lord just blowing in and out through his word. Look at that. Away from the body, at home with the Lord. I, just, I bring those passages to you just to give little illustrations of how I get nudged towards thinking, no, no, when a Christian dies, you go immediately to be with the Lord. You're at home with the Lord. And the final thing, or not the final thing, the one thing that really does it for me is what Jesus says while he's hanging on the cross to the thief that's right next to him, who says to him, Luke 23, the thief, then he said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So that could be a metaphorical today, but I think it's a literal today. I think it's likely literal today. Meaning the minute you die, that very day, you go to be with the Lord. Yeah? So there's just a little, that's almost a little aside to this passage. It doesn't matter whether you agree with me on that kind of stuff or not, because even if it's, whether it's soul sleep or whether it's immediately with the Lord, in the end, you're going to be with the Lord. And that's the big thing to be catching. You can have confidence that you will be with the Lord. When you die, you will go to be with him. Whether it's a snap blink or whether it's straight there. And at his second coming, which is what's being described here, I believe, at his second coming is the day where you will receive your new resurrected body. Yep. I think that's what he means in verse 16 when he says the dead will rise. It means they'll get their new bodies. Um, verse 15, come back to the passage with me. Paul is addressing a particular question that the Thessalonians have got here. And you need to get a little bit of background here. Um, They're concerned that the brothers and sisters who have already died might miss out somehow on the second coming in its fullness. And I think it's Timothy's brought that report back to Paul. And so Paul's trying to address that for them. They're thinking, but what about the... They've clearly come to understand that Jesus will return and they've got their trust in it. They're thinking it it may even come in our lifetime, likely in our lifetime, but what about those who have already died? Will they miss out on this beautiful moment? Look at verse 15. Paul says, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, hang on, we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will, not, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. You see what he's saying there? No, no. If, if you're alive when Jesus returns, it's no better for you. The ones who have already passed, they don't miss out in any way. We won't precede them. 
We don't get to Jesus first and, and get to experience more of his glory before they do. Don't worry, they're not going to miss out at all. And that was the concern that the Christians had, these new Christians in the church. So Paul's addressing that concern. Um, and, and that's just worth noticing. And then verse 16 and 17, Paul gets into detail about this day, this return, the second coming, the parousia. You could call it the big reunion day. Uh, it's, it's or judgment day or the resurrection. Um, let, let's just read verse 16 and 17 and just picture the reality of this event together. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, let's just pull that apart. He starts at the beginning of verse 16 by saying that the Lord himself will come down from heaven. There's going to be a moment where Jesus will return to the earth. He's come once and he will return. He himself will come back. He will come down from heaven, as it's described here, and he will appear to everyone who is alive and everyone who's ever lived. This moment is described in a number of other passages in Scripture. You can go to Jesus' description in Matthew chapter 24. In fact, let's look at that really briefly, Matthew 24. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Jesus is actually quoting Daniel 7 here with these references. And all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds of the earth, from one end of the heavens to the other. This sounds like a pretty big moment that everyone's going to see. The Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, is going to come on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. I don't know how you picture that. I don't know how that plays out in your mind. We've watched a lot of movies, probably not many about the second coming. But just picture the sky cracking open. Picture what you know of the sky just being peeled back and Jesus revealing himself to everyone who's alive. Can you imagine that moment? That's a clarifying moment. That is a sweet moment. It's a moment where I believe everyone will see it. But not just see it, everyone will hear it also, won't they? Because as you've got there, uh, it'll, uh, it'll, there'll be a loud command, there'll be the voice of an archangel, be the trumpet call of God. A lot gets said about those three things, but it sounds to me like a huge amount of noise and an announcement that the end has come that everything's going to get wrapped up. Like the hooter that goes at the end of a school day and, and, and you know it's over. <laughs> There's going to be the trumpet call of God. The voice of an archangel. I haven't heard an archangel, but I'm looking forward to hearing an archangel. It's, it's going to be deafening. 
There's going to be a rumble and a roar to it that just shakes your bones and shakes the ground. This noise, no one will miss it even if they're deaf because it's going to shake the earth. Everyone will see it. Everyone will hear it. Everyone will feel it. No one will miss this moment. What a spectacular moment. The return of Jesus. This is the day of days, really. It's the day where everyone will finally see and acknowledge and realise that Jesus is Lord. This is the day. Everyone who's ever mocked and scoffed Jesus, everyone who's actively opposed him and resisted him, everyone who's even just politely ignored him and got on with their good lives will find themselves in this moment unable to ignore the reality that Jesus is and always has been and always will be Lord. They will no longer scoff and mock. No longer will anyone be able to ignore. No longer will anyone be able to resist. All will tremble in awe and bow. But tragically for so many, it will be too late. Because though they'll bow in that moment, they won't be able to do anything else but bow. If you resist bowing in your life and acknowledging Jesus with the days you've got here, that final day will just be a judgment day, a tragic day. When Jesus returns, he'll do two things. He will gather to himself his people and he will judge the world. Two big things that are mentioned constantly whenever this moment is brought up. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to be someone who's on the receiving end of God's judgment on that day. Today's the day to bow. Today's the day to receive and acknowledge Jesus as Lord so that that day, when it comes, it's a day where you will be able to do nothing but delight as you see your Lord come for you and take you to be with him and you get to go and be with him in the place that you were created for. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss that day. It's going to be the day where God will gather his people. The dead in Christ will rise first. So they won't miss out. All those who have already passed away as Christians, all those faithful departed, all those believing dead, apparently they rise first. So if you're alive at the second coming of Jesus, and we'll get into this more next week, there's lots of uh, passages that will speak about what likely is meant to happen before the coming of Jesus. and There's a lot of discussion there. But if you're alive before this moment. Just know this, all those who have died before you in the faith, apparently they rise first, meaning they get their new bodies, their new resurrection bodies first. Yep, that's what it says. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, any who are still alive and left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There's the rapture of the church. There's the the taking of God's people to be with him. 
in that moment, a moment no one will miss, a moment it will become so obvious that what matters is you know the Lord. We will be caught up together with them. If you've lost a loved one or when you lose a loved one in the faith, just know that this moment is coming and you will be with them again with the Lord. You see that line in the end? It says, um, um, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this says this, and so we will be with the Lord forever. That's beautiful. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So you will be with me. That might not be too exciting. But everyone else who knows the Lord, we will be together with him forever. Without sin, finally, there'll be no more crying or mourning or death or pain. The old order of things will be passed away. We will live in the new creation with these new resurrection bodies, which we'd love to know more detail about, but they're a glorious version of what you've got now. Don't worry, you won't be disappointed with that one. You will love being in your new resurrection body with everyone else in their new resurrection bodies and with the Lord, and there will just be the deepest contentment and satisfaction in that space, in those relationships to be with God. There there will be this resonance with our heart that says, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I was designed and wired for, to be with my God and his people. And this is it. And you get that forever. And it's not a pipe dream. It's not wishful thinking. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus, his new resurrected body that he got. And the final line there, verse 18 says, um, these are the words we're meant to encourage each other with. And I'm assuming that's particularly in the moments when we're grieving the loss of loved ones. Yeah? Those who die in the faith. And, And we will. We'll grieve together for the rest of our lives those we lose. Yeah? And in those moments, we're to do everything we can to be encouraging one another with these words, bringing this reality to bear in a timely, loving way. If a brother or sister is, is grieving the loss of a Christian, you don't just go, don't worry about it, mate. We'll be together again one day. No, we need to be sensitive. We need to grieve together. We need to learn how to lament together. You know, it's part of what he's got for us, but we need to encourage one another to lift our eyes up because we get to be together again. When you die and your body goes into the grave or burnt and is cremated, just so you know, if you're in Christ Jesus, your body will rise again. Ain't no grave gonna hold your body down. It will come back and you will live forever with the Lord and we'll be together. Let's encourage one another with these words, yeah? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your words to us. We don't understand all of them perfectly. We've still got lots more questions, but we're so glad to get the big things settled and sorted that we can have confidence in life beyond death. We can have confidence that we will be together with all those who have believed and with you that day will come. Lord, we grieve differently. We view death differently. Please do that work in our hearts and help us to have our hopes set on that day and help it shape how we live today.
And the people said, 